0: Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of The Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by the city of Sevierville, the East Coast's hottest, most affordable eco-travel destination for families, couples, and holiday weekends. If you want to relax, reconnect with nature, and have the time of your life, please check out visitsevierville.com. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. Also, don't forget to check out our contest section on our website for your chance to win one of our cool prizes. For more information, please visit www.theorganicview.com forward slash contest. For those of you that are feeling frustrated and feel that one person really can't do much of anything, this is a really important interview. Percy Schmeiser is known for his lawsuit against Monsanto he's the Canadian canola farmer from Saskatchewan Canada who was the first farmer to win a lawsuit against Monsanto the interview is a little long but there's a lot of information in it so without further ado here's the interview today I'm going to be talking to Mr. Percy Schmeiser Percy is a canola farmer from Saskatchewan Canada he was the first farmer to win a lawsuit against Monsanto This landmark case, which went before the Federal Court of Canada, has attracted international attention because it could help determine how much control a handful of powerful biotech companies can exert over farmers. Mr. Schmeiser believes this precedent-setting agreement sh- ensures that farmers will be entitled to reimbursement when their fields become contaminated with unwanted Roundup Ready canola or any other w- unwanted GMO plants. So I'd like to welcome Mr. Schmeiser to The Organic View. Good afternoon, Mr. Schmeiser, and welcome Good to the show.
1: Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be on your show.
0: Thank you, and thank you for, coming, uh, for making the time to be on the show. Uh, you are... Lecturing all over the world, and uh, something that has been so unfortunate has really just opened the eyes of so many people because of your determination, your sacrifices, and all of your hard work and effort. So, personally, I just want to thank you for all that you do.
1: Well, thank you very much.
0: Mr. Schmeiser, I'd like you to begin by talking about your background, how you got into farming.
1: Okay, briefly, uh, my father was a businessman, a farm equipment dealership, but also a farmer. 1946, um, I took the farm over from my father, and at that time I had always heard a lot about canola. Very little grown back at that time and uh, because of the quality of it. And so I started growing canola in 1946. In 1952, when my wife and I were married, she came from a farm background in plant breeding and in uh, seed research and developing new varieties of seed. And so immediately we started to raise uh, canola way back, as I said, in 1946. And we were growing it every year uh, until Monsanto laid the lawsuit against us in uh, 1998. And we had developed new varieties of canola uh, suitable for our land, for our, our climate conditions, soil conditions, and, and most of all, disease control. And I guess that's one of the reasons Monsanto wanted to get their hands on our canola for what we had developed after 50 years of research.
0: Wow. Well, you've been doing this a very long time. Mr. Schmeiser, would you say that you're in favor of agriculture, and do you also support new technology to help improve Agriculture.
1: Well, I think the fact that I've been involved with the research and development, I'm really, really in favor in, in research and new technologies, but these technologies have to be always looked at in, in the view of maintaining farmers' rights, that you don't lose your biodiversity and that farmers always have their right to use their seed from year to year. Yes, I'm very much indefinitely in favor of new technologies.
0: Thank you. Can you begin by telling our audience exactly what happened to start the whole thing off with this lawsuit?
1: Well, briefly, in 19, uh, uh, GMOs were introduced in our region here in Western Canada and at the same time in the U.S. uh, in 1996, and there were four crops introduced at that time, and that was canola, soya, corn, and cotton. And the crop that affected us the most uh, was naturally uh, canola, which has really grown a lot in our region. So, in, so in that was 1996. In 1998, uh, we received completely unexpected a lawsuit uh, from Monsanto, and they called it a patent infringement lawsuit. We had no contact with them before, and uh, so it was quite a surprise. Uh, when we got this notice, by, by all by all means, it was by bus, a letter that came by bus. And uh, so immediately, um, I, we didn't realize the implications of it at that time, because we didn't even know what they were talking about, patents on genes or patents on seeds. And uh, so uh, eventually we took it to a lawyer, and um, when we heard what it was really about, that we were... Uh, infringing on Monsanto's patent when we had never bought their seeds Uh, we never had used their um, uh, Roundup Ready uh, herbicide on our canola crop so you can imagine then uh, how we felt and we said to Monsanto that if you have contaminated any of our research in our fields of canola then you should be liable for the damages and we stood up to Monsanto so that was the beginning of it 1998
0: Was it difficult to find an attorney to even discuss this whole matter?
1: Well, at the beginning, we had like our family lawyer. we went to him first and he said you really need a patent infringement lawyer and uh, mostly, uh, most of the time, your patents are always addressed at at federal courts in our know, like in your case it would be Washington or in our case, Ottawa. But we were able to find a patent lawyer in my home city uh, where I, I live quite close to and so it started from that and so it took basically what Monsanto had said at the time uh, that uh, with their new technology uh, you'd have the farmers would have increased yields they would uh, be used less chemicals and more nutritious. but the buzzwords that they were re- really using as I call them was that now with this new technology we feed a hungry world and you wouldn't have any more starving people and how we how in one year one year's time after the introduction how everything, the opposite started to happen. So we set up to Monsanto and Federal Court of Canada, one judge, and um, it took two years uh, to go to trial, but in the pre-trial Monsanto admitted that they had no knowledge of ever uh, obtained their seed but they said because we were contaminated by our neighbor we no longer own our seeds or plants. So that's the basis had went to court and uh, eventually what the judge ruled after the initial trial court was that what made the case become internationally known overnight and I'll just give you quickly some of the main points he ruled it does not matter how a farmer or a gardener is contaminated and he went on to state how that could happen cross pollination with pollen flown in the wind or by bees direct seed movement. Seeds blown in the wind, transportation by farmers, uh, processing, and so on. And he said if that happens to any farmer, that farmer no longer owns the seeds or plants. They become the ownership of a corporation, in this case, Monsanto. So it doesn't matter if you're an organic farmer, conventional farmer. Uh, if you're contaminated, you don't own your seeds or plants because Monsanto has a patent on one gene that's in that seed that probably has 33,000 genes in it. So then he ruled that all our research and development, all our seeds and plants become the ownership of Monsanto and we have to deliver up to Monsanto uh, whatever seeds or plants we have. Well after four years and that it went to the court, we had no seeds or plants left but uh, because they were all had sold on the commercial market and so we had stopped uh, developing them and then he also ruled the level of contamination does not matter. If a farmer is contaminated even only 1% on his total field he no longer owns his seeds or plants they become the ownership of Monsanto. So that just devastated us because when he ruled, we're no longer allowed to use our seats or plants again. So then we appealed it to the federal court of appeal. Three judges this time, and although they did not all agree with the trial judge's decision, they still I mean, uh, they just they still upheld the trial judge's decision. So we were after you know five years of legal battle, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in expense. We decided to uh, fight it as far as we could, and that last avenue was the Supreme Court of Canada. And it was a great day for us when the Supreme Court ruled in our favor to hear the case. So now it would go to the Supreme Court of Canada. Uh, But at the Supreme Court of Canada, we were able to bring other items besides patent infringement. And one of those was that we said that no one, no corporation, No individual should have the right to put a patent on the future of life and control the future of life by putting patents on a gene. So that was one other item that we could bring forward to the Supreme Court. Now, I should mention, Monsanto never talks about, they had laid two other lawsuits in the course of the initial patent infringement lawsuit. And one of them was about three or four years into the case when they laid another lawsuit of one million dollars against my wife and myself because they said we were arrogant, we were stubborn, we wouldn't do what Monsanto wanted, and it was costing Monsanto money to fight us, so they wanted $1 million up to that point in time. So we had that lawsuit to fight. Right. And Mr. Next- what,
0: what did it cost you as far as uh, all, the, all the legal expenses on your end? How much were... How much had it totaled at that point?
1: Well, at that point, um, uh, probably it was around $300,000, uh, my cost, so to, uh, with, the, with my legal disbursement costs, court costs, and so on. And then, if that wasn't all bad enough, then the next lawsuit was that then when they found out, when Monsanto found out how we were financing our legal battle by putting mortgages on our farmland, then... They uh, issued a lien, a caveat. They tried to seize all our farmland. They tried to seize even our home and all our farm equipment. So by the time it went to Supreme Court, we had three lawsuits, uh, two lawsuits besides the patent infringement lawsuit. And and so what the Supreme Court ruled eventually is that we did not have to pay Monsanto any money, and that was a major, major uh, victory for us. And on the issues of whether you can have a patent on a plant or a seed uh, or uh, a patent on a gene, I should say, that has to go back to the Parliament of Canada, which is someday it will have to be addressed, and also whether you can have a patent on higher life forms like a gene. So uh, these are some of the things that still are, have to be looked at. Now, so we didn't have to pay Monsanto any money, but what was not fair when the Supreme Court ruled, is that we would have to pay our own legal bill. Monsanto has to pay their own legal bill. Now, remember, Monsanto laid the lawsuit against us on the patent infringement, and they lost. They should have had to pay my court cost, too, which was a half a million dollars. So, eventually, that's the way it ended up, and Monsanto lost their their case against me that we had infringed on their patent.
0: Wow, that's that's an awful lot of money. Now, when they put the second lawsuit, when they filed the second lawsuit, couldn't that have been considered a frivolous lawsuit? I mean, you're raking up legal expenses, so why should it be any different for them?
1: Well, I guess what they felt, they were so sure they were going to win, because remember we lost at the trial judge, the first court, then we lost at the uh, the Federal Court of Appeal with three judges, and I guess they felt they were so sure that they would win, even at the Supreme Court, that, uh, that that's why they started doing that already, because the Supreme Court would rule um, in the, uh, Monsanto's favor, which did not happen, and they would have everything in place. In fact, we were told by our lawyer that if we would have lost, Monsanto would have had a padlock on our door, on our private home, within an hour. Wow. So that shows you how vicious and what they are doing to hundreds and hundreds of farmers across North America, both Canada and the United States, who lost their farms, lost their homes, lost their all their farm equipment, hundreds of them.
0: Getting back to the actual contamination issue, you said that the contamination came from your neighbor's land, correct?
1: Right, yeah. That's what it was, uh, because see what happened was it wasn't until the court until it went to court that Monsanto had to release to the court who they had sold a Roundup Ready canola to and here one of the third original farmers in our total region happened to be my neighbor. He was never told what could happen, how he could contaminate his neighbor, how he could destroy an organic farmer. He was just told all about this wonderful new technology that would feed a hungry world. So so that's where the contamination came from. But again, remember, judge ruled, it doesn't matter. We had spent a lot of money to get scientists in from the University of Manitoba, and to check to try and find where the contamination came from, and eventually we did, and what the rate of contamination was. And the judge ruled it doesn't matter what the level of contamination is or where it comes from. If you're contaminated, you no longer own, under patent law, you no longer own your seeds or plants.
0: That is amazing.
1: Uh, That's what made the case become internationally known overnight, uh, because you have to remember it was the first case in the world, In regards to patent infringement.
0: Do you think that had your neighbor known what the consequences could have been that if he could have gone back in time he would have proceeded with the purchase of the seeds?
1: Uh, No, uh, I'm sure because a lot of farmers when they've heard what happens uh, after my case became known they would refuse to buy any seed from a corporation, or any seed that would take the rights of farmers away, or destroy um, uh, the the, uh, the the ability of another farmer to to operate and make a living from a farm, I often have said, it does not matter uh, if how good or how bad a new technology is, but a new technology should never ever be released. Until, until you know for sure that you do not take or destroy another farmer's rights. It's a moral and ethical issue that no one should have that right to destroy somebody else's ability to make a living.
0: And just so that people that are not familiar with the farming community, is it a tight-knit community?
1: It is. It was a very tight-knit uh, t- uh, t- uh, community. And I should mention this. the I said I was involved with farming. And uh, and uh, and uh, for many, many years, but also besides being a farmer, uh, I was also a member of the provincial parliament. I was in the Department of Agriculture with my portfolio. And so I had many, many people, as you can imagine, in my campaign, in my political life, and being mayor for 20-some, and the counselor also of uh, my area for many years, that I had a lot of support from people in our region, and they knew that I always had stood up for farmers, for farmers' rights, and especially farmers should always have the right to use and develop their own seed if they so desire, from year to year.
0: As many farmers have been doing for many, many years.
1: Well, for you know, for centuries, that's where the our yeah. seeds come from. And here you have a company that had never, ever developed, and I don't want to use the word invented. It never developed or had canola. They had to, in my opinion, they had to biopiracy varieties of canola so they could put their gene into it. Mossaddle never invented canola. Where did they get it from? They got it from farmers by one way or another, like they did in my case, to try and get a true patent into claiming uh, that I had infringed under patent and they could claim ownership on it because they had a gene in it.
0: And do you think that because of the fact that your neighbor did have an agreement with them to purchase their product that perhaps this was all part of the main plan, knowing that inevitably your land would be contaminated, that it's pretty much an easy victory for them.
1: Right, and, and to really back that up and what followed in in following years after that, the head of one of the Canadian seed uh, growers, associate, seed, uh, the seed uh, growers, it made a very startling statement. He said there's so much opposition now to the further introduction of any more new GMOs, and he said that the way we get out new GMOs is to contaminate, and then farmers no longer have a choice. So you can see what their plan was all along. All, once you get it into, into the environment, There's no stopping it. Nature is nature. You cannot stop pollen flow, Uh, seeds blown in the wind, or uh, pollen uh, spread by bees. So they knew, these companies knew back, according to the documents, back in the 80s already, when they were developing GMOs, that it would spread. And yet, uh, you know, regulatory approval was given for that introduction when uh, the people in power knew and eventually it would become all GMOs. There is no such thing as coexistence. Once you introduce it, it all becomes GMOs in a short time.
0: Is there any way to get rid of it once you've planted it?
1: Well I've asked that question from scientists all over the world and at the present time they said they do not know Yet at this time, if it ever, ever can be brought back, especially canola, because it can spread so easily and 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 you have a lot of volunteers the following year. So, you know, you really have four things that arise now with the GMOs. First of all, you have the control of the world's seed supply by corporations uh, like Monsanto now is the world's largest seed company in the world. Why have they gone primarily from a chemical company to a seed company is because they knew if they can control the world's seed supply, they can control how farmers have to buy their chemicals, what chemicals they use, um, they have to buy the seed each year, they cannot use their own seed. So, so now you have the control of the world's seed supply, then you have the whole issue now, the big issue now, is the issue of the, uh, the uh, effects of GMOs on health. The whole health issue has become a major, major issue. And then also the massive, massive increased use of chemicals. Remember when I said that Monsanto said less chemical use? I guarantee you that you have at least three times more chemicals used with the introduction of GMOs than you have ever, ever had before. And the new chemicals that they have to control, or the GMOs uh, that they use in GMOs, is more more potent, more powerful, more toxic than any chemical that we've had since 1996. So we have major other issues besides just the introduction of GMOs on farmers. Our whole society is affected now by GMOs, and I, I believe me that people should be up in the air, up in the air, arms, you know, just because of the danger of the food that we are eating, what we're feeding to our children, our grandchildren. And there's many, many uh, studies now being done, scientific research on the effects of eating GMOs all around the world, from, from many, many countries. What
0: is your feeling about the recent deregulation of GE alfalfa?
1: Well, I'm, you know, it's unbelievable. No research done. The precautionary principle is not being used. Uh, primarily, alfalfa is used for for uh, for feed for animals, pigs or uh, especially cattle. And so, remember this: when cattle are fed GMO feed. Uh, The the companies like Monsanto would say there was no such thing as horizontal transfer of that GMO gene. That is totally, totally false. An animal that is fed GMOs, eventually that GMOs will get into the intestines, the bloodstream, and into the body of the animal. So if you eat the meat or flesh of that animal, you are eating GMOs. So... That is just what will happen is that there will be more and more people eating GMOs that do not want to eat GMOs. Uh, another point, before I forget, is this. They said feed a hungry world. Well, you know, I was really upset with that when they used starving and hungry people of the world to further to sell more chemicals and get control of the seed supply. Uh, and uh, now what has happened, we cannot sell. A lot of people will not eat. Like, uh, use canola oil or corn, uh, GMO corn, because of the toxins, the, the bi- bacteria, the uh, viruses, the antibiotic resistant marker genes that they are in GMO uh, seeds, plants, and food. Is that uh, so? A lot of people won't buy it. So, what are we doing? We're making fuel from it, bio, biofuel. And so, uh, land that should be the food from land or the plant that uh, they. Uh, the uh, food from, not food, but from the grain from land that should be used as food to feed a hum- hungry world is now being used to make biodiesel. So it was never ever meant to feed a hungry world. It was meant to get control of the world's seed supply, seed supply, and then the food supply. That is what it's all about.
0: Now, Mr. Schweizer, we have a question from the audience. This is coming from a chat room. Uh, what is canola used for in terms of human food and are there health implications if it contains roundup ready, ready genes and this is coming from border glider
1: okay uh, what it's used for primarily it's for cooking oil it's a very good cooking oil and when it's, it's crushed and cooking oil and the meal uh, you know meal that is left is used to feed animals like uh, it's made into pellet form and feed uh, animals like pigs or, or, uh, or uh, other animals like cows and uh and Peter steers, as we would call them so it's a it's a very good nutritional food, and so um, for animals um, but in especially canola uh you have an antibiotic recess and gene in it because okay, I should put it this way when you transfer a gene from one life form to another to make that plant-resistant to Mount Sandus herbicide Roundup, you can never move that gene, that, that gene or that higher life form from one uh, plant to another. You have to use promoters or vectors, or and in the case of canola, you have to use an antibiotic-resistant marker gene. And so, when in the pollination stage, Uh, farmers that are growing canola in the canola growing areas uh, in that, uh, what we call in that stage, you're breathing in also an antibiotic recessive marker gene. There's a lot of uh, concern now, They are finding. They were saying the doctors here were prescribing too much antibiotics. Farmers, a lot of the farm families, not only farm families, uh, people that live close to farmland that had canola on, uh, we're we're getting totally immune to certain types of antibiotics and because of the antibiotic-resistant marker gene that's used in canola, in the transfer of the gene, besides the new virus that's in it and the new agrobacteria that's in it. So these are what the big concern is now in the food issues. Yes, to answer that question, you do have a new virus, you do have a new bacteria, and in the case of canola, you have an antibiotic-resistant marker gene also in it.
0: Thank you for answering that. Uh, now, in regards to just uh, what you personally experienced, um, when you first – I just want to take a step back and just talk about the process that you went through. When you were first notified um, – What exactly happened as far as how you were notified and how quickly things just seemed to escalate?
1: Well, uh, uh, like uh, we were notified in 1998 two years after the introduction, and it was by uh, a letter or a, a, um, a notice from Monsanto's lawyers from Toronto at that time. Uh, that uh, they were laying a lawsuit, and they called it, as I mentioned, a patent infringement uh, lawsuit. And so that's the way it started. And then immediately um, it, it became known throughout our country here that Monsanto had laid a, a lawsuit because they had said that it had uh, uh, stolen their seed or illegally. Obta- they used the word uh, illegally obtaining their seed without a license from them, and that was growing it. And uh, and uh, so that's. It really escalated really fast after that because the farmers then started becoming aware of what's going on or what's going on that we can't use our own seed and so on. So it became an issue quite quickly.
0: And how many letters did you receive from them? And do you have any copies of some of these letters that were sent to you?
1: I have all my copies uh, uh, of uh, letters that they have sent uh, to me for, right from the beginning. You can imagine, uh, you know, with all the documents that were required. But I also I should mention to you that I do have hundreds and hundreds of other letters that farmers had sent to me and and uh, and uh, parts of their contra not parts the whole their contracts. And not only that, but what uh, farmers have given me that, uh, to me, I think it's absolutely disgusting, is what we call, the farmers call extortion letters. And believe me, if if uh, Monsanto feels that a certain farmer has bad mouth or said something about Monsanto, I'll guarantee you, you're going to get a letter from Monsanto. And in that letter, and, and uh, I'll just give an example of uh, many... Uh, and they're pretty well worth the same. Monsanto will say to a farmer in the letter, uh, we have reason to believe that you might be growing Monsanto's GMOs, uh, w- whether it's uh, corn or whether it's canola, without a license for, from us. We estimate that you might have or you have 250, 300 acres, 500 acres of canola and, and in lieu of us not taking you to court, send us $100,000. $50,000 in such a period of time, and we may or may not take you to court. Now, can you imagine the new fear culture that is being established by Monsanto's tactics like that to send what we call these extortion letters to farmers? And, you know, a lot of cases, farmers didn't even have that much land or they didn't even have that much in crop or maybe just a bit of it. So, But it was a matter a matter of putting a fear. So that we no longer worded as agriculture. It's a new fear culture that these corporations, especially Monsanto, have been able to establish with, the patent, with, their, with their rights through a patent on a gene. So and another thing that's really disgusting, and, uh, and Monsanto had it in their own brochures, and in the United States they even advertised it on the radio, but in farm papers here and in brochures from Monsanto where they say uh, on the, on, in the brochure that if you think your neighbor is growing Monsanto's GMOs without a license from us, report us to uh, Monsanto, and you will be rewarded with a gift. So you can imagine, you know, if one farmer happened to do that to another farmer for whatever reason, but these are the tactics. People don't know what's really going on with the introduction of GMOs and how, as I said before, it not only affects farmers, it affects now all of our society. These are the tactics. To me, it's, they, in my opinion, they're the most ruthless, and, and a, com- a country on the face of a company on the face of the earth now.
0: Neighbor against neighbor, that's uh, really well, building communities now, isn't it?
1: Oh well, what has happened? What has happened? One of the farmers that uh, uh, showed me and told me they had been at his homes, and he said, what happens is that he immediately thought, "Well, which neighbor done this to me? Was it the neighbor down the road or on this side of me?" And so now you have a suspicion. You have a breakdown of our real social fabric. Farmers scared to talk to one another. Farmers scared to on Coffee Road to talk about their farming operations. To me, as a former politician, I think this is one of the worst things that could happen with the introduction of GMOs, the breakdown of our real social fabric. And, and believe me, um, it, it, it's devastating to our communities when you have that happen, when farmers are scared to talk to one another. In my case, farmers, uh, uh, representatives from Monsanto would go out to my neighbors and said, if you support Percy and Louise Schmeiser, we're going to come after you and you won't even have a farm left. So you can see how they threaten people to not speak or say anything. So when sometimes when my wife would talk to another lady or one of her friends, Or uh, one of my neighbors would talk to me. They'd be looking each way to see who was, uh, if anybody was watching. That's how serious it got. Besides the other threats that we received.
0: Unbelievable. Sounds like it's uh, really adding to the health of the community. Well, I'm being completely facetious.
1: That's correct. It it breaks down, as I said, our real social fabric. And I often think, you know, in our, in my own family, my grandparents came from Europe. Uh, in the early, late 1800s, first to the U.S. and then to Canada. And they had my parent, my grandparents, my parents had to work together with our neighbors to build our country, our schools, our hospitals, our roads, our churches. Now we have a breakdown of a real social fabric, and that is exactly what Monsanto wants, is to break down, divide, and conquer.
0: We have a call, and is this Barbara? Are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hi, welcome. good afternoon, Barbara, and welcome to your Organic View. You had a question for Percy?
2: Uh, Yes, I do. Um, First off, Percy, I really admire um, the fact that you went through all this and didn't quit. Uh, There's a couple of things I wanted to ask. Um, What do you think, as I'm trying to do some sort of a campaign to alert farmers of the dangers of signing this contract with Monsanto, what do you think is the most effective way to do that?
1: Well, the most effective way is, first of all, you have to hurt the company. They're, uh, by the pocketbook is to stop buying their products, and that's the, the quickest way of doing it. There is uh, many, many other varieties of uh, GMOs that are out there now. Uh, where I should say, first of all, Monsanto is the only company that does not want a farmer to use the seeds from year to year. You can go to another company and buy a, a similar pro- uh, product and you can, the farmer can use his seed the following year, but he cannot sell it to uh, to his neighbor. His neighbor would have to buy it uh, from the company too. Well, that's fair, but not. Uh, but when a farmer uh, buys a product, where he gives up his rights, and I'll give you an example within that contract briefly. And a lot of farmers never ever read the contract. So, my first advice is read that contract before you ever sign it because once you sign it or once you start growing it, you'll never hardly be able to get out of it because they'll come after you because they have a record on you. And some of the things in that contract says this number one, you're not allowed to use your seed the following year. Number two, you basically have to buy the chemicals from Monsanto. Number three, you have to pay a license fee to Monsanto each year. In our case, right here, it's $15 an acre each year on the acres that you own. Number four, if you have some tr- or um, you must permit Monsanto's, and this is the one I hate the most, you must permit Monsanto's police force or investigators uh, to go on. They can go on your land, uh, they can go in your granaries. For three years after you you sign the contract, they can get your tax records, your farming records, anything that they want with or without your permission. Now, the final thing is in that contract is now too that if something goes wrong with the seed, if there's been some problem with the seed and it was um, the the company's fault, in this case, Monsanto, you can never take Monsanto to court. You even give your rights up to take the uh, company to court. So it's total control of that farmer by corporation, So farmers should, but a lot of farmers didn't realize when they went to, at first, at the beginning, they were called um, informational meetings. Monsanto would contact some of the bigger farmers or larger farmers in our area and would tell them about this new wonder, but they never told the farmers really all the things that would happen, uh, you know, by signing that contract, giving up his rights. Wow,
0: that is uh, uh, that, that's just unbelievable. I mean, it, um, it, uh, it's, almost if, it it's almost as if it's almost as if unless you have an attorney to read this contract to basically spell it out, uh, most people that just will think that okay, this is a great opportunity. Uh, only until after everything's said and done, they realize that they are stuck.
1: Exactly, this is what has happened. And what has happened, like when some farmers, they grew it for one year, and they then they found out the implications of it. But then it's too late because they, the Monsanto, even if you sign that contract for one year, Monsanto can come on your land for three years afterwards. They can go on your land, and you can imagine if you have any, uh, um, any uh, what we call, not contamination, but uh, uh, when... Uh, um, Germination from stragglers? the following year, you know. Uh, they are think... Sorry?
2: Barbara? Hello? Oh, I did. Stragglers? Yeah, stragglers. Straggler seeds?
1: Yeah, you know, like. Uh, it's contamination really And I, I'll give you an example with canola Canola is one of the worst crops That ever could have put GMOs in You normally have a 20% fallout So you can see the contamination You have the following year Monsanto knows that So if you want to use a different variety And you plant and you go to another company And you plant their variety Which is not GMO Monsanto knows at least 10-20% to 20% of your crop Is going to be GMO So they can come in and seize your crop make you uh, burn it, or fine you for it, or make you pay for every acre of it. Wow. Once they got you, once you grow their product, they got you.
0: So uh, there really is no way to, I guess, clean up your land once you've already gone under contract with them.
1: Well, it would be very, very difficult, and not only that. If you're not with them, once it gets to the point, like right now, if you buy canola in Canada, seed, you can be guaranteed. I'll guarantee you there'll be some contamination of GMOs in it. So uh, basically, there's no GMO-free canola in Canada left. It's all GMOs, and that's what that's what happens. It total becomes. So what does it do? It, GMOs really eventually will totally destroy organic farmers and it really bothers me that a lot of organic farmers don't realize how serious the situation is.
0: Barbara, are you still with us?
1: I think you lost her.
0: Um, I'm with uh,
1: you.
0: Okay, uh, uh, Barbara, you had another question for Percy Schmeiser. Okay, I think we might have lost her um now, is there anything else that you'd like to, to i i guess express to any farmers that are out there that are listening uh about these contracts that they may not also be aware of?
1: Well uh, first of all, is that you're going to have your your input costs will go up dramatically. When you cannot use your own seed, because first of all now you have to pay a license fee on each acre, you have to buy the seed, you have to buy the chemicals. So the input costs, which the farmer is really concerned about, uh, should be concerned about, has really you know just skyrocketed. I'll give you an example. If it used to, um, I gave some examples in Europe last week. If you uh, if your seed was costing uh, yourself about two dollars an acre when you could use your own seed now because you're forced to buy the seed from a corporation like Monsanto and I'll use this as an example on canola you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 60 dollars an acre so you can imagine the input costs just on the seed alone plus the harassment and the control that you always have to buy your seed and chemical each year from a from a company and not only that they can start dictating what is grown the farmer can lose his rights in regards to what type of seeds he want to use, what kind of plants he wants to use, because they control the seed supply now.
0: That's, it it just seems as though, it seems like a great opportunity, and then (laughs) the more involved you get, uh, it seems as though there's just really no way
1: out. Well, Um, that's correct. And to make sure that they can continue to control that seed supply, Uh, about three years ago, in both our countries, but especially here in Canada, they wanted to introduce, Monsanto wanted to introduce the Terminator gene. And I think uh, most people know what that is. You know, basically, uh, it's uh, a gene that's put into a seed, and uh, when the seed uh, becomes a plant, all the seeds from that plant are sterile. So the farmer cannot use it for, because the germination is on. So the farmer is forced to go back to buy the seed each year. But can you imagine? To me, I think it's the greatest assault on life we've ever seen on this planet because uh, it can, uh, that can cross-pollinate into indigenous seeds, heirloom seeds, so you lose all of your biodiversity. And not only that, but how, how far does the terminator gene go? I am told by scientists it can enter by one means or another. In all higher life forms, the future of life is terminated because the seed is sterile. So that's how far they wanted to go to create total control of the seed supply. This way, they didn't by with the Terminator gene in. If that would ever be allowed, they um, they wouldn't have to worry about messy contracts or investigators or have their own police force, as here in Canada. Um, then uh, they, the farmer know... And if he used that seed, it sterile, it would not grow.
0: Now, it's very interesting because in basic horticulture, what they teach, especially uh, when you're first learning the basics, is that the, the sole purpose of a plant is to reproduce. Right. And if you are producing plants that are sterile right off the bat, mm. you basically defeated the purpose of that plant's existence. Mm. And right. uh, that's, that's really a scary thought.
1: That's right, and that's. But I I just brought that up to show you how to the center trying to get control. Of oh, of course. Supplies. They stop at nothing, you know. And uh, you know, an- another thing I should mention uh, that uh, at, earlier in the, in the program I forgot to mention that when Monsanto uh, had said. My field was contaminated 98% with their GMO. Uh, That is correct, but the variety, what they meant was the variety, like there was Pursuits, uh, Liberty Link, Pursuits, Smart, other varieties of GMOs from different companies at that time, and Monsanto. The variety that I was contaminated was about 98% Monsanto, but the contamination rate of my field, with my field, in some fields it was only 1% or 2%, one was 8%, two fields had no uh, contamination at all, but the judge rules the rate of contamination does not uh, matter. And to see what Monsanto wants to make people believe, uh, I call them a spin doctor, is to believe that my total field was contaminated by total crop, but it was the variety that I was contaminated by was Monsanto's. Hello. Hello. Yes.
0: Hi, Graham. Good afternoon.
3: Graham, do you have okay. a question for Percy Schmeiser? Sure, Percy. I, I'm calling from Scotland. I just wanted to say how much I deeply admire your bravery and your wife's bravery because I think the horror you must have lived through would have broken most ordinary human beings. Um, wow. so that, that just. I just think that's the way, it, the truth.
1: Well, it, it was not easy. Uh, I often have said to people uh, that if you're involved with a company, to us it was like seven years of, of uh, living hell. You can imagine when they would come into our driveway and watch what my uh, sit in our driveway and watch what my wife would be doing all day, and they would go out where our farm was and they would, vehicles, they would sit. Uh, on the road and watch what we were if my neighbor was helping me or we were working with field with our own men uh, What what we were doing all day and? Uh, so you can imagine the intimidation and harassment You know, they tried to break us down financially they tried to break us down mentally But I think the more that they tried to destroy us the more that we we fought back
3: well, what I wanted to ask you was we don't have genetically modified organisms here in the UK but I've noticed in, well, certainly in the last five years, there was an enormous political pressure from the political elite, I'm talking about the government in this country at the time, to push GMOs onto the agenda. And mm-hmm. the ordinary people in the country wouldn't have it. But, then, but in the last month, they've had various top-level scientists who are members of the scientific establishment saying that the world is starving and uh, we have to feed the world and GMOs are the only way and the new word they're using here is they're saying anyone who opposes this is a denier uh, of human rights that's the argument they're using um Mm -hmm. so i wonder if you had any advice for people living in europe as to how they should deal with this political pressure
1: well first of all uh what you are saying is what farmers were told here back in 1996 and believe me the corporations and many times sometimes they have now been fined for misleading and false advertisement I'm going to make a statement to you right now. If anything is going to lead to more hunger, more starvation in the world, it's GMOs. Because, first of all, how by planting, first of all, just ask yourself, how by making a plant resistant to a chemical will it increase yields? The yields normally go go down because you've altered the plant structure. Uh, massive chemical uh, use now, three times more chemicals than ever before. And I don't, now we have a major problem here with the environment, with our water, our soil totally contaminated with more highly, more powerful toxics. So now you have less yields, more chemical use, and more danger to the environment and human health. So if anything, as I said, we are going to have, and not only that, because of the dangers now of eating GMOs. Now it's being used for fuel. So land that, as I said before, land that should be used for food production is now being used for fuel. And I think that's absolutely criminal to have that happen. So now we're going to have more starving people, more hungry people in the world with GMOs.
0: If I can can interject something, uh, this uh, was sent... uh, via chat from the gal that just called in, uh, quote, Monsanto should not have to vouch the safety of biotech food. Our interest is in selling as much of it as possible, assuring its safety is the FDA's job, end quote. And that is from Phil Angel, Monsanto's director of corporate communications, as quoted in the New York Times, October 25,
1: 1998. I remember that very well when he made that statement. You know, it doesn't matter... If you bring poison out and it kills people, it's not our job to you know to tell people it's a poison. Well, one
3: of the things that uh, one of the things that we've been noticing is that um, it seems that uh, food and food production is becoming an instrument of American foreign policy. Uh, apparently, after the after the uh, after the end of hostilities in Iraq, the American government and or through Monsanto enforced a rule that any crops planted in Iraq from that point onward had to be Monsanto GMOs.
1: That's correct, and I was very alarmed when I seen that. Here you have you know, Iraq, Iran, cradle of of civilization almost, and, and, and seeds and plants developed there for thousands of years. Now all of a sudden being told by corporations from the U.S. and from Canada, here you can't use those seeds anymore, you have to use GMOs and so that you know this is what's going on and uh, you know I, I sometimes i feel you know how are we going to get this message out uh, you know to the people the health issue especially now with GMOs because if you put a toxin into a plant especially bt corn bt cotton uh, bt potatoes and you eat that if it kills an insect what does it do to you? Some of the chemicals, in my opinion now, that they're using to, uh, for, uh, in this GMO, BT types of, uh, of uh, plants, is more toxic to, as far as I'm concerned, than DDT, Agent Orange, and some of the other ones that we've had before. And that's how, because they have to, because the plants are getting more resistance to these new chemicals. Well, thanks.
3: I'm going to let someone else have a go now, but thank you very much for that.
1: Now, don't don't. Once you start, once you started, it, uh, it's over. I spend a lot of time in Europe. I just come back from France three weeks ago, and uh, the, uh, so much they're saying in Europe, the corporations, especially Monsanto, you can have coexistence, you can have an organic farmer, you can have a conventional farmer. That is totally, totally false. Like here, we no longer have an organic farmer in soya, we no longer have an organic farmer in canola. It's all contaminated. So once you start. The game is over.
3: Well, thanks. Bye.
0: Thank you for calling in. Now, uh, one of the questions that I have is, at this particular point in Canada, now that there is no more organic soy or organic canola, where does Canada get their organic soy and canola from?
1: Well, okay, a lot of that... um, the uh, uh, would be brought in, like there. Is, like Europe has a lot of organic uh, uh, soya, organic canola, and also Australia. A lot of people here have now switched from uh, canola oil to olive oil, even in our own household. So a lot of people won't touch here, won't, won't touch olive oil, uh, I'm sorry, uh, canola, canola oil. Canola
0: oil, yeah.
1: Because they know what's all in it now.
0: Now, what has been the European position, uh, especially uh, you had mentioned something that just transpired in Germany in regards to your work. Can you tell our audience about that new law?
1: Okay. Uh, I was very ha- uh, very uh, surprised. Uh, well, I heard about it a little bit last year, but... Uh, Uh, Last time I was in in Germany, and I'll be going back there in three weeks' time, they said they have a new law, federal law, they call it the Schmeiser Law, after me, as regards to if a farmer is contaminated, Monsanto cannot come after that farmer for any monies or enumeration. In fact, Monsanto can be held for liability.
0: Do you think that that is going to send them a message as far as what is going on with the farmers over here?
1: Well, I I I think that uh, they're, you know, with the internet and everything else, they're fully aware of what's happening uh, because a lot of, we can't ship any of our canola to Europe. We can cannot ship any of our soya to Europe because of the contamination. They know, uh, you know, the testing is done so they don't buy it. So we've lost, the economic issue has become an important issue because it's been devastating to our farmers. Not only to on canola or soya, but we cannot ship our, hung, our honey now to many countries of the world because our honey now also is contaminated with GMOs. So a bee doesn't know which flower is GMO and which is not, so that's another industry that is being destroyed. And any country that introduces it, eventually their honey will be GMO too, like here.
0: How many farmers would you say have been impacted as a result of? Everything that's been going on with Monsanto
1: well, Monsanto at one time was bragging that there were thirty thousand farmers uh, in uh, Canada that was using gMOs and uh, so but now uh, if you want, if you want to, as a farmer, want to grow canola here, you know that when you buy the canola seed and you have no other choice that it's going to have some GMOs in it. Some type of GMOs will be in it. So you no longer have a choice. Choice has gone. Thank you. And
0: Barbara, our caller from before, is now back on the line. Barbara, do you have a question from Ms. Reschmeiser?
2: Yes, I got kicked off. Who knows whether it was Skype or blog talk. But, um, <laughs> yes, I do have <laughs> There's something else that's in that new contract. Because I pulled up the um, TUG agreement, technology use agreement, uh, the new one, 2010 and in it, it specifically says that um, when you buy Monsanto seed, you are not allowed to sprout the seed. Do you have any idea why that is?
1: Well, um, uh, well, okay. First of all, you're, you know the main point of that is that you're not allowed to use it again, huh? You know that you mm-hmm. uh, you or you cannot sell it. No, but. You know, we're talk, you, uh, I should just mention a point that I uh, almost forgot and that you just brought up. First of all, it really does not matter anymore with the contracts. If you um, if you buy Monsanto seed uh, on the bag of the seed, it now states by opening this bag of seed, you agree to all terms and conditions of Monsanto's patent number, so on and so. And if you go back... And if you go back to my case, uh, if you are contaminated, the court ruled you fall under all the terms and conditions of Monsanto's patent number so and so and so. So even if you sign a, con- you, you a contract or not, you're still covered, you still get caught with Monsanto's patent.
0: Just, so just by, by opening, opening the, bag. the bag. You have that in unison. <laughs>
1: So, like I mentioned, they've done everything, whether it's through contamination to get control of that seed supply, but though, and then they wanted to bring in the terminator gene, that which was not allowed, thank God, by our government, and uh, to get get that that control of that seed, one way or the other.
0: Now, the question from uh, one of our audience members. Uh, uh, does he think there is collusion between the government and Monsanto? Shouldn't the government be defending farmers against Monsanto? Monsanto and it's coming from Border glider?
1: Well, I, I really, uh, that's where it has to come from. It's uh, uh, Finally, you know, uh, 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 we have what we call the revolving door. And uh, you have it in the u S. the same as we have it here, where people work for a company, they're a lawyer for a company or something like that, and then they go to work with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency or the Department of Agriculture, and when they get the various programs that they want, then they go back to the private to the industry again. Yes, it's going on, and uh, uh, so uh, I'll give you an example. Some of the contamination came deliberately here, and plaques was one of them. Uh, our flax is contaminated. We don't know how bad yet. A professor at our university here in Saskatoon in 2001 was developing genetic altered flax. And uh, when it was found out what they were doing at the university is that uh, he was fired. Not only, but Before he was fired, all the flax that he had developed, enough for seed about 60,000 acres, was ordered to be destroyed, and which was done. But what the, what the scientist had done, he took small packages, which contained about 144 seeds, and he went out to our local high schools and gave them to farm, uh, to uh, students that came from a farm and said to the students, this is a new variety of flax that we've developed at the university. Uh, take it home and have your parents try it or have your father uh, try it and see how they like it. He never told them it was GMO flax, and it was not allowed. And so when it was found out what the scientists had done, there was immediately a recall because this was being done in April, just before the month of May, where the seeding is mostly done, but a lot of it, or some of it, apparently did not come back. Now flax is now contaminated with GMOs.
0: And whatever happened to that particular scientist? That well,
1: okay, he was uh, he was fired, but he still had tenure for another year, and uh uh, then he left the University of Saskatchewan, and guess where he's at? He's at Berkeley now.
0: Interesting, and I wonder and how I'll much even, money. <laughs> I
1: can't even give you his name because he and I were like fire and water. Because when I found out what he had done in 2001, to deliberately, deliberately, and I should tell you that last year the Germans found out on because we ship about 80 percent of our plaques we produce to German uh, to Europe. And on inspection, they found it was contaminated, and all our shipments of plaques now have been cut off to Europe. Wow.
0: And uh, is it safe to assume that uh, this particular individual had quite the relationship with with a particular company to spread this GMO seed?
1: Okay, I'll put it this way: I'm very concerned with uh, the loss. Of our academic freedom, and I say this: I I believe that I don't believe there's one land grant college in the United States. I believe that there is not a university left here in Canada that does not receive, to some degree, uh, grants from corporations to do certain projects. The information from these projects or research does not become the ownership of the university; it becomes the ownership of the particular company that. is given the grant money, particularly Monsanto, and I think, what is our future generation going to be if they, when they go to, when they graduate? I have my wife and I have six grandchildren in the university right now. What kind of a future are they going to have when they graduate? When they can't release the information as a scientist should uh, to the public, and only be allowed to release whatever what's only favorable to a company? And I think. All the, the funding for our universities now have to go back to the public purse. It cannot be continue to be accepted from private corporations. And I think uh, this is a major, major thing that has to happen.
0: Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, it's great to advance as far as new technologies and, mm-hmm. and new methodologies and so on and so forth, but as long as they've been tested and they're not harmful – uh, it's just interesting that now, depending upon whichever the way the wind blows, if you're contaminated, that's your tough luck. Right. That's almost yeah. like saying, well, if, uh, you know, you're walking down the street minding your own business in, uh, you know, a beautiful part of of town, and if you uh, have something horrible happen to you, that, you know, it's basically your own fault because you lost your house.
1: Well, you know, um... I'm just going to run to a different phone because the battery's on this one. But anyway, um, uh, well, one of the one of the sure one of the questions actually
0: uh, from our audience is uh, our audience would like to know if you're going to be writing a book about all of your experiences uh, or even. Uh, produce a documentary or, or film about what you've been through.
1: Well, uh, I know that I've had a lot of requests to write a book, uh, and uh, but I've been traveling so much yet that I haven't had the time, but a lot of notes have been taken. But there are a lot of documentaries that are out there, at least 20 documentaries. The last one was done by a German company in Munich, and it's in English, and it's really good. It's uh, David versus uh, Monsanto, and it really covers a lot of the things that I just said this afternoon.
0: Thank you. And, uh, Mr. Schmeiser, do you have any last things that you'd like to say to any of our farmers or any students that are out there or anyone that is concerned in in the public about your experiences?
1: Well, first of all, as I said, I I wish that what happened to us doesn't happen to anybody else. And and I'm very concerned that, first of all, number one, farmers should never, ever lose their rights to their seeds and plants. To me, seeds and plants in the hands of farmers are safe. Seeds and plants in the hands of corporations that are out there to make a dollar, regardless of the harm they cause, you know, should not be allowed. And then there's the whole food issue. There's a lot of information now uh, of uh, of the carcinogens and everything else that's in GMO foods and stuff. So to really, a lot of information, students especially, get on the Internet. Look at all the research that has been done in the harm and the dangers of GMOs, the new chemicals, uh, especially the highly toxic ones and the Bt toxin plants, and, and, and look for it for yourself. Uh, I was just turned 80 years of age, and I don't know how many good years of, a, of uh, life I got left, but I've seen the damage that has been then. I've been with agriculture for over half a century, and I don't want to have the agriculture that our grandparents, our parents have worked so hard to, to establish to be destroyed by corporations just because of greed.
0: Thank you, and uh, by the way, happy birthday.
1: And, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it,
0: you know, we have another question from the audience, and this is coming from Stephanie. She'd like to know, uh, is there any hope of getting this to stop with the collaborat- collaboration with the government and these chemical companies?
1: Well, it has to come through legislation. It has to come through to, uh, know, um, um, pressure on our representatives or members of government, because that's where the laws are made and, and that, uh, that no more, first of all, no more new GMOs are allowed to be introduced and awareness brought to our government members and information given to our government members. These are the people that make the laws and, um, and, and, and to protect us from any further introduction of GMOs. Deregulation co- is causing us a lot of trouble in the, in the seed industry and, and especially the food industry.
0: Thank you, and we have a question from also from this is coming from Twitter. Uh, this is from Conrad, and he he wrote in, "I thought Monsanto was a friend of the farmer."
1: Well, a lot of farmers at the, at the beginning here said Monsanto wouldn't do that to us. We're their customers. But I'll tell you, after a year or two, they found out how how friendly they are to a farmer if. You know, and I, I thought I gave some examples of what they were doing to farmers. I I should just say I had almost an hour of phone call today from a farmer in Indiana telling me how they destroyed him. You know, uh, fined them, uh, because they said he, he illegally was growing Monsanto soya. and they wanted two hundred dollars an acre farm. Well, they bankrupt him. So it's going on, and that has to stop. I'm not talking about a third world, uh, first, a third world country. I'm talking about our country, Canada and the United States, first world countries. We thought that never could happen to us here, but it is happening. So people have to become concerned for our future generations.
0: Thank you. And, Mr. Schmeiser, thank you so much for taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule. I know that you do a lot of traveling about your experiences all over the world.
1: Well, thank you very much. And like my purpose often I've said is to bring awareness to the people and then they can make their own decisions. Exactly.
0: Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Steuer with the Organic View Radio Show.